podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Peacock Streaming, the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. This is two in a week and the reason that we're doing a second is because I have a very special guest joining me today. Uh, none other than Demian Ariaga, introduce yourself, Damien. I'll do the 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 pod yeah. typical greeting. Hello, hello, hello. I am Damien Ariaga. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here, Pete. Honored, honored. Says the man who's. Why are you here? Tell tell tell, tell them what you do and uh, um, um and why you're here, and then we'll get into the mix. I'm here because I'm an Arsenal fan first and foremost. Absolutely. Yes. That was the right answer, everybody. <laughs> I'm here because I am a musician and I have the joy and privilege to be performing with the Jonas Brothers on Saturday Night Live tomorrow night. So I'm here in New York for rehearsals and it's just the timing worked perfectly that we're able to hang out and chat some AFC. Man, I'm out here making tweets for brands and you're on Saturday Night Live. That's super exciting. Um, so you're a, you're a p- percussionist? Yes. Um, you, uh, like, t- tell the, 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 the listeners your, your Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is at Demian Ariaga, D-E-M-I-A-N-A-R-R-I-A-G-A. So uh, a great follow if you are an Arsenal fan, but also a great follow uh, if you like the drums. Um, I love your cover versions. Thank you very much. The Block Party one, still, still <laughs> my favorite so far. It is my favorite. It is my favorite. Um, so everybody has a, a story about how they got into Arsenal. Um, like I, living in a, in America and traveling across, like there's there's no better conversation starter than being an Arsenal fan. They're everywhere. Everyone's got a uh, a story to tell. Tell us um, how you got into Arsenal and why that's special today. I absolutely will. So I was born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela. And most of the football that we watched and was around us was Spanish or Italian. But I never really felt like I loved any of those teams. I liked watching Barcelona and I liked watching Real Madrid. But my friends that were fans of those teams were kind of obnoxious. And I didn't really feel like I belonged there. Um, Same with some of the Italian teams. I had no loyalty to anybody. And the Venezuelan national team wasn't really going anywhere. The club teams in Venezuela weren't really good. Um, They weren't showing them on TV. So um, coincidentally, they started showing the Premier League on a Fox channel that I had sort of randomly on cable. And um, actually, prior to that, I must, ad- I must say that my, great- my grandmother was Dutch, or her father was Dutch. So my first memory in life was me watching Dutch football growing up. Not the, bad. Not the, bad start. The orange shirts, or the kits, as you guys say, um, and some Ajax stuff. Um, and I remember being enamored by Ruth Gullit and, and Frank Reichardt and their dreadlocks. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. What's that? Orange hair. They're brown like me. You know, like this is really, <laughs> really cool. So later on, my, um, my love for the Premier League and, and just fo- uh, 
British football in general was becoming a thing. And my dad gave me, on one of his business trips, he gave me a VCR tape of the highlights of a season. I think it was 1995 or so. And on the same trip, he bought me a Megadeth CD, which was my favorite metal band and still favorite band at the time. And he also, they got me also a JVC stereo. And I remember one day watching the highlights and watching, at that time I had no idea who it was, it was Ian Wright, watching him play and celebrating all the goals. And I saw their jerseys and I saw JVC. And I saw my stereo, which was JVC as well. So this almost like brand loyalty thing started happening, which I'm like a product of you know, capitalism, basically. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is starting to make sense. And then I started listening to the Megadeth album that they got me, and the first line literally says, the arsenal of Megadeth can be rid. And it was just this sign of metal, rock, product placement, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, I, I chose the team, or it chose me, right, in a way. I was, and I started researching however I could about Arsenal, and I started watching Champions League, and the Premier League started showing on a Fox channel, like Fox Latin America or something like that, and they coincidentally were showing a bunch of Arsenal games, and that was also 1998 when the World Cup in France happened. And I, was, I had always supported the Dutch national team. And that's when Dennis Bergkamp scored that unbelievable goal against Argentina. And I found out that he played for Arsenal. And it was like a thing that happened. Like I didn't have any sort of way of really deeply research who plays where and blah, blah, blah. I was into music. I was kind of like a peripheral fan in a way. But then on, in ni- 1998, um, that's when it all solidified and I became obsessed and... Today's his birthday, and I couldn't have imagined a cooler place to be to celebrate um, being an Arsenal fan than here with you on his birthday after yesterday's events, great events. And that's kind of how I became a fan, and I've been supporting them since then. Wake up at 4 in the morning in L.A. I I don't miss a a match. Um, I cry. That is, especially the last few seasons, getting up at 4 a.m. to see some of the horror shows that have been put on, that's tough. It's been rough, but, you know, I have it easy in in that sense, you know. We've talked about this before, like the the people that go to the Emirates and pay their good-earned money and live and travel to see them play, and it's not as good as we deserve or we know that they can, the level where, where they can perform at. That's more frustrating, so I, I can't complain. And um, I could complain, but I don't, and I see how it's brutal for other people, and I, I just feel horrible. I feel horrible when, when that's bad. And then I envy them in a good way when they're there and it's good, like yesterday, you know, when they travel and they got to see, you know, a hat trick and a European hat trick. That's beautiful. So, you know, I've never – I've been to the Emirates. I've never been to a match, and I refused – to I, I will say it out loud. I'm, I, I was Wenger out for a long, long time, actually, since Dennis Bergkamp didn't come in uh, on the Champions League final um, against Barcelona. And that really bothered me. It irked me very badly. And I uh, I've been a Wenger, was a Wenger out guy since then. Um, it, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my journey so far. Favorite Dennis Bergkamp moment? My ooh, 
probably his game against Everton when he was sort of needing a contract and I believe it was 7-1 or 6-1 and he, I believe he scored a one and made like six assists or five assists. It was just absurd. Um, I love what he did with the Dutch national team, that goal against Argentina. For me, it was beautiful. And um, there was a goal he scored against Man United, almost like a this byline cross and he just kind of tapped it in to tie the game, I believe, 1-1 and it it was amazing. I just love the guy. I think he's like my idol in life. Everything that he does, I think, is incredible, and I respect him a lot. And he's an inspiration on and off the the, the pitch, as they say, you know, as you guys say. But uh, as a musician, I, I find footballers as a massive inspiration in what I do, and um, he's number one. There's always that, that bit of crossover with music the mu- people in the music industry and um and football stars yeah they both like the the mu- the musicians want to be the footballers yeah and the footballers want to be the musicians yeah it's 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 a very interesting thing and you know one of my dreams is to be in a position where i can have some of my favorite athletes as guests on some of these shows um and actually i didn't even i think i might have told you this but on june 8th we're going to be performing at Wembley, which is stupid to say, right? It's huge. It's ridiculous. The home of football. Yeah. You're going to have to do the Wembley Way walk. Yes. You have to get down there. I got to figure it out what to do, but it's it's incredible. And on a a more romantic note, really quickly to, to sort of button this, I love England and I love your country. And every time or the times I've been there has been absolutely magnificent. I love the film culture. I love the humor. Um, I just love everything about it. I love um, the weather. I love the food. <laughs> and I'm obsessed with England. And I, if I could move to any city in the world tomorrow, I would move to London, North London, to be specific. That's good. And, uh, you know, when you, when you live in London and... Um, the foreign fan globalization of football and all of the negative connotations uh, that some people have around the game. I think that people always miss like loving British football, English football is quite often not, uh, it's not just in a vacuum. It isn't just, it's, it's, it's everything around the game the, that captivates people. You Absolutely. Know, like the, the fans, the passion, like the, 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 out and out tribalism that you know. I know you um, grew up in Venezuela, but um, when you go to an American game and you're sitting next to an away fan, it's jarring. You're like, I'm watching a basketball game, and I've got uh, I'm at a Nets game, and I've got uh, I've got an away fan next to me singing in my ear. Like yeah. it wouldn't happen in the UK, and right. it's hard to compute that you don't have this vicious hatred yeah. for those people that sit next to you. So yeah. it's like it's the full package. And, and it's like the, the the internet taught me a lot of things as well. Like, I'm I, of course I hate Spurs. Yeah, I don't want anything good to ever happen to them. If anything, the only sort of little thing that makes me sort of doubt is because I love Danny Kelly, and the the journalist and and talk sport commentator, and I think he's a brilliant mind. So I only maybe might feel bad because it's somebody that I like that happens to like Spurs, but I don't really don't, give don't, a shit. Don't, don't, don't give him, don't give him an inch. Shit. It's like those war movies. Yeah. Yeah, when they're like, right. I'll it's let like... this soldier go yeah. two no, minutes no, no. later. Done. Done. Yeah, they're hitting you with a tweet that you don't um, like. But I learned to hate Spurs and I hate Spurs, you know? And, and so I, it's I, a beautiful I, thing. I, I borrow some of that stuff and I desperately try to belong in, in, in something that I don't really belong because I'm not um, English and I haven't been to matches. 
and what I was trying to say before, I refused to go to Arsenal games in America because um, I didn't want to... It was my way of sort of boycotting, complaining, and not contributing to Wenger and the machine that I was disliking. Are you going to go... But will you go this summer? I'm going to be on tour. Ah, oh, um, no. So, yeah. I have, uh, a, I have a ticket for uh, the Washington, the DC game. Okay, great. Uh, so... Um, Get to get to go down there and uh, absorb a bit of Arsenal in America. I, I, the only thing is, I feel like we normally take a pretty average squad, but my, there's no World Cup right this summer or European no. Championship. So no. hopefully, um, hopefully we'll get to see the good players or see the fruits of the Emery Raoul partnership. That's right. So let's uh, let's come back to the game in part two, um, and we'll discuss some other hot topics. Uh, that I know that you're all going to want to hear. See you in part two. And we're back into part two. So, uh, a great night, a terrible month of, of football. I think the Valencia game was a real worry. I don't know about you. I mean, you've kind of touched in, on it in part one. But I found it really, really difficult to deal with that Spurs result. Like that, that was one of the worst things that's happened to me in football for a while. Uh, like I, I had to take some time out, had to have a, a sit down on my own uh, to, to really compute what happened there. Um, did you, going into the Valencia game, were you thinking unassailable lead? It's written in the stars. You know, Arsenal have never lost from this far behind. Were you worried? I was not worried First of all, I was sickened by the Spurs game, sickened. And I love Ajax in the sense of Burkamp um, and all the other players. that Overmars, Kanu, oh, Thomas yeah, Vermaelen. Of course. And actually, full disclosure, one of my favorite players of all time has been Edgar David. And when he signs for, signed for Spurs, I was just like, all right, you're, you're dead to me. Yeah. Um, the game or the match, excuse me, was very nerve-wracking for me. and But I did feel like that we would score eventually. And I was never in doubt of the result, the overall result winning. I just, it was a matter of how painful this was going to be and how disgusted I was going to be with my life for the next, the following 90 minutes. And I didn't watch the game. I had to listen to it on like talk sport or whatever. And it was just the first 20 minutes I was just in pain. And then it just started snowballing and things started happening. And then I got pretty confident that it would happen, you know, like listening. To, I can't imagine what it was like listening to it on the radio because the atmosphere was electric. And when you can hear on the radio how electric it is, it, f- it feels a lot worse than, than it actually is. Yes. And Latin American commentators go straight to the point. If somebody scores, go, you know, like yeah. immediately. Some British uh, commentators and, and announcers or whatever, they take their sweet time. And you don't know who scored. You don't know where the goal came from. You don't know who. And it just, that's happened a couple of times last time when I was like, wait, who the fuck just scored? And yeah. that was a little bit brutal, but um, it, was, it was amazing. Um, I'm so happy. Um, and I never doubted it, really. Yeah. The, and, and I think the, the cold, harsh reality of European football is that outside the top teams in Spain and in Italy, there's really not a lot of strength in those sides. And I think it's very telling that 
Napoli uh, Napoli had no power uh they, like and Valencia didn't really have any power they had some good technicians out on the pitch but you never felt like we were being bullied right um and Arsenal tend to thrive against teams that give them space mm-hmm. uh, uh space to move and and don't don't press as hard so i think that once again our strikers have come to the rescue i mean if we're to talk you know i don't i don't really like analyzing games too much so i'm not particularly good at it but i would say that there are, are, are five interesting points from the game um the like, first one obama yang and lacazette i think that's uh, i think it's 29 goals um, for obama yang this season arsenal had five shots on target yesterday scored with four uh, an Obama Yang hat trick. How would you assess uh, the man from Gabon this season? I mean, I think the the stats speak for the, for for him and for for themselves. I think he's phenomenal. I think what we missed a long time. Or I want to. I'll speak for myself. What I've missed for years under the sort of latter years of, of Wenger was players that I absolutely loved and felt confident that they would do their jobs fully not Mustafi not many players and when I see Oba up front and Lacazette I feel it I'm like great these guys are going to do their job when I see Ozil I don't and that's a point of contention and because I always will always compare number 10s to number 10s and like I said Burkham is it and I don't think Ozil comes anywhere near what Dennis was in the aura and what he brought to the team, that confidence. Mm-hmm. And I can t- only explain what I feel. I see Ozil on the, on the uh, team lineup and I'm like, mm, I hope because he it, it's not, you don't trust his ability. You don't trust his character. Correct. Right. And, and I need the, the, the same way that I listen to music with the joy that I did when I was a child and the emotion when I listen to punk music or metal and I feel a certain way when I was just like a kid when I'm like, whoa, dude, I used to listen to this when I was 12. This is amazing. I want the players to make me feel that way. So when I see Torreira, I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, my God, that guy's my idol. And I'm like 10 years older than the guy. You know yeah. what I mean? I miss that. And that has been like sort of muddled in the, the, for the, the, the last sort of Wenger era. And Oba is like a shining diamond, same with Lacazette, and I'm, I'm so confident of those guys. So I think they can score against anybody at any time in any game. I feel the, the critique, the Aubameyang misses chances, like for me, is a misunderstanding of what that sort of player brings. I also, I also think there's a, a misunderstanding of what his abilities are. Because he's, he's lean and, you know, wayfish. There's the assumption that his game is about pace, but actually his game isn't about pace. Right. He's not. He's fast, but he's not actually that fast. His game is uh, more like David Trezeguet exactly. way back when. Absolutely. You know, like a, a, tele- a telepathic understanding of where that ball yeah. is going to end up. Like, uh, and, uh, and people were, were talking that he's a pace merchant in the comments section of La Grove yesterday. For, I, I can't remember which goal it was, but he got in a foot race. Then he lost the foot base, and then he won the ball back. Right, won back, and you know, yeah. And, and another element of his game that seems to to get ignored. He works really fucking hard, 
And actually, for, uh, for, for somebody who like, is, is a goal snatcher, right. he loves to bring players in. Like, the partnership that he has with, with Lacazette is, is phenomenal. I think where he struggles is against really physical teams. But even then, I mean, both of them, they're, they're not perfect from a specimen perspective. Right. If you could mould the two together, you would kind of have nearly the perfect, the perfect striker. But... His goals have bailed us out all season. Um, we've had a lot of luck um, going forward, but our conversion rate has been absolutely phenomenal. And to bemoan a goal scorer who scores goals doesn't work for me. And also people forget Thierry Henry. Peak Thierry Henry would have the most shots on target and the most shots off target. Right. Missing chances is just part of what happens to strikers. Absolutely, it's trying. You know, That's what, to me, it means. Lewandowski. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell me a striker that doesn't miss. Even Van Nistelrooy. Van Nistelrooy, he yeah. He missed so many. I saw him with the Dutch national team. He missed so many, so many chances. Yeah. And all you need is a one or a two. Yeah. That's a reality of it. I think the, the, the interesting dilemma Emery might have this summer is Lacazette and the Bamiyang both earn a lot of money. It's what's he going to do there? I feel like one might might go. Lacazette probably has the the highest ceiling with regards to you know price tag and because Aubameyang is a little bit older, but Aubameyang is going to be useful. I think he's you know I think he can develop his game into something different when the pace really does drop off because he's such a poacher. But right. um, I wonder what we're going to do there because we're going to have to free up some cash at some point. Um, second point that I want to talk about: Meza Özil. I, I felt that Meza Ozil's performance yesterday was disgraceful. I think he, I think that, but there are a number of factors that we can talk about with Meza Ozil. I don't think he looked interested. He was plodding around. He wasn't really interesting in interested in defending. There was no intensity to anything he was doing. Um, at like one point in the in the game, he sort of accidentally stumbled back into a position where he could force a decision from a Valencia player, and a Valencia player like passed it past him and hit it with some fizz, and he shirked. And it's it's like you get no intensity, and we know that he can play with intensity because we saw it against Chelsea in right. the semi final last year, where he played like a man possessed. Um, you you he, he's not able to create. But partly that can be tactical. I feel like he's having to drop deeper and dribble, and that's not really um, his game. But the numbers speak for himself. Since he signed that new contract, was he had like four assists? Mm. Um, what's the problem with Meza Ozil as you see it? My theory is that is there's deeper issues there that aren't football-related necessarily. Right. I think he is a person that might be dealing with mental health issues, uh, whether it's a condition such as being bipolar or dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression and a bunch of stuff. So 10, 15 years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes out with a telltale book about dealing with depression and dealing with all these things. He doesn't seem like a normal person to me right. in, in my experience with dealing with different personalities, famous people, successful people, incredibly talented people, and students of all kinds, autistic children, children with Asperger's, you name it. I don't think Mesut Ozil is a normal guy. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that 
I cannot assess him the same way that I assess other footballers. And I can't really explain. It's just a vibe that I get. And his role, I think, has also been dependent on the lack of amazing players around him to make him stand out. Some people need a push to perform, and others are innately gifted with this ability to play against anybody and give their best at all times. I think that's what the Invincibles were. Every single one of those players, and I have an Edu story that I'll tell you later, but <laughs> all those players, I knew that they would give everything at all times for every, every other member of that team. I don't feel that Ozil does that for everybody else because I think he's like, wait, where am I at? What do I need to do? And then he ana analyzes that and then figures out what he does for the team. And I think that's in his life and perhaps on the pitch as well. And I know it's pretty freaking crazy and conspiracy theorist of me, but that's what I feel. So I, to, see, to me, he's sort of this outside thing and he's not a normal player. He's not a, I don't see him as a normal And I don't mean normal in a bad way. I don't want to in, in, sort of insult anybody out there that, or misinterpret what I'm saying. Not a, the typical footballer. The lightly on the spectrum thing is, is interesting because to have that level of talent and focus and odd vision, yes. like his vision is not normal. Right, of course. Like some some of the things that he can see on the pitch, nobody Absolutely. else could ever see. The you know the pinch, kick thing, pass that goes or I mean, it's insane. He's sublimely talented, without a doubt. And one last thing, I would never ever doubt somebody's professionalism or hard work and all this other stuff. I know how hard it is to get to a high level. Obviously, I'm nowhere near in my profession as he is in his. But I see it. I know the amounts of hours that I do. It's the same with you with your job, the amount of hours that you put and that everybody does. So I, I don't see like he works hard enough or whatever. I think there's something missing that gives him this unspoken, priceless push to do things that he believes that he's incapable of doing. But he would if he knew how happy it would make other people around him on a consistent level, be it the fans, or the manager, or the other players. Does... Also the Fortnite yes. stuff. Yes. Right. And, and, yeah. Anybody that can dedicate that many hours totally. with that sort of level of focus. Like you, I, I you know, don't, don't want to dig back into it, but... Um, you mentioned it on a pod. Yeah. One but, of your guests yeah, yeah, had a stat. Yeah. It's, uh, he, the, the amount of hours that he's put into, into that, like sitting on your own, sort mm -hmm. of vegetating in front of a computer screen, I don't think is good for your health. Also, I'm not sure it's... Um, Uh, like a, I, I don't know, I, I'm making complete assumptions here as well, but um, if you're boxing yourself out of things to that level, to that, you know, when you're playing games, for like, you, you do wonder whether it's a form of escapism, but that has gone too far. But whatever it is, he doesn't look happy on the pitch. He has reacted terribly to Unai Emery. Mm -hmm. like, Emery can't seem to find a way of unlocking his talent, which I think like has to be a, a mark against his name because... It doesn't matter what you think. If you have a £350,000 a week asset, your job as a manager is to bend over and fucking take it. Like, if you have to say things to make him happy, if you have to make him feel like a million dollars, because I've heard, I've heard it from people that, are, that, that work with, um, with Mesut and ha have worked with him in the past, that he needs an arm around the shoulder. 
Right. Um, he's a pain in the ass, uh, like all sublimely talented people are. Um, but he needs uh, he needs more carrot than stick. And actually, like thinking back to it, Mourinho said a said a similar thing. You have to find a you have to find a specific balance yeah. with him because he will slack off. He does have insecurities, right? And then there's the the objective cutthroat. Do I want a player like that? So high maintenance, maintenance as insensitive as that might sound, I don't. Well, this, I really but this, don't. But the, the, this Arsenal team, in the state that it's in, can't really carry that. Correct. Right. Correct. And I think yeah, absolutely. That that's right. the. That's where we are. Yeah. When yeah. you're when you're Real Madrid, and you can afford, you can afford him to start with, and he only plays sixty minutes a game because you know that he can't hack the pace. That that should have said something to the the Arsenal scouts when, when they when they signed him for forty three million pounds. But um I, I think Arsenal need intensity. I think Arsenal need aggression and you know you just take you take that ten percent out of the outfield players, that ten percent of intensity out, it disrupts the rest of the flow. I mean you know you play in a band. One person yeah. isn't carrying their weight on the on the on the set. Absolutely like, it, it ruins the whole thing. I was I don't know whether you've seen um the Oasis documentary. Oh, not yet, not yet. It's fucking fantastic. I should. Yeah, uh, it's you know that that pure rock and roll, but um, their first drummer d- just wasn't on it, and he he disrupted the whole flow, and they eventually exited him from the band because like what you know one cog out of place, and right? It, and it blows up the whole thing. But why do you have to make it about the drummers, man? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I, you know, I uh, I also uh, can play the drums just. In case you know you ever that's right. We in case you do an ACL yeah, or yeah, yeah, you yeah. know you get an Almunia finger injury. Oh yeah, or Ospina that gets injured every game from every play. It's insane. Yeah, did, did uh, Ospina didn't he have um, a heart problem? Actually, there, now that you mention it, yeah, it's pretty bad. Almunia had to retire because of a heart problem. Yes. something going on at the yeah. Arsenal training ground. I want to yeah. start another conspiracy because <laughs> we've had enough of those today. Uh, so, okay. Next topic. I mean, this is an easy one to get through. My, oh, my, the defense is shit, isn't it? I mean, is there any other way of looking at that defense? It is unbelievably bad. Like, we're, we're, it feels like we're exposed in the same way every week. Uh, we're susceptible to balls over the top. Uh, we're susceptible, um, uh, like, in, inside our fullbacks. Like, Maitland-Niles was atrocious. Um, yesterday, uh, like just gallivanting off, letting people in behind him. Um, Monreal, who I think is a great defender, looks lost. There's no organization, no structure. Unai Emery hasn't made an impact on the defense despite signing a new goalkeeper, a defensive midfielder, and a centre-back. How do you assess that? Well, I think you, you've said it all. I think it's if, if, it, it, if it was a good thing or if it was a good defense we would be talking about how good it is that's what happens with defenses right they're either great and you mention how great they are or they're horrible and you mention how horrible they are and they're not going to get better until you sign different players Um, unless you have a very specifically defensive minded coach or manager that's going to make appropriate changes and evidently Steve Bold hasn't been working for the odd years that he's been there, I don't think there's been that much of a difference. He doesn't look um, fucking happy at the moment, does no, he? I don't think I've ever seen him even smile. 
No. Maybe since his playing days, you know what I mean? But um, again, I don't, I, I'm nobody to, to question people's intentions or their abilities necessarily, but I do think that we could be way better. I mean, you look at Ajax and you look at that back four and how mobile they were, and sometimes they were three, sometimes they were four, sometimes they were five, and it's like, you know, they're 22 years of age or something like that. And you know that it comes down to coaching. And even then, even with the current players, I believe that it's a coaching thing. And I think he could set them up differently and play differently. Um, I had a, a lot of people. Oh, the, the, these players are uncoachable. I'm like, no, they're not. That that like delete your Twitter account. Go off into a quiet room and have a word with yourself. By like, if you have got to the top of football, like if you are in that top 0.5 percent of people that play the game, you. You are coachable. Absolutely. In fact, you are the most susceptible to coaching because there is no such thing as natural talent. There are people that work hard. There are people that understand instructions better. Um, and there are people that, you know, all of the other bits, character, the desire that goes into it. But if you are playing in the Arsenal team at 25 and you're being paid £90,000 a week, that is because you are coachable. And there are so many examples of, of, of great coaching Um Pep Guardiola, yeah. Fabian Delph goes from a journeyman central midfielder yeah. to playing in the greatest Premier League team of all time outside the Invincibles. Uh, but, you know, course. from a points yeah. perspective, yeah. Um, Ra- uh, Hassan Huttle has gone in to Southampton yeah. and he's organized them. Yeah. He's given them a clear playing vision. Everybody knows um, what they're doing. And I don't want to go here, but I'm going to Sam Allardyce. He goes into clubs that are on fire and the first thing that he does is organize a defensive structure and then they're keeping clean sheets after five games. But whoever hires Sam Allardyce knows what he gets and what they need with Big Sam. Or they know what they need, I should say. Who is the best person to do it? Who can we afford? Big Sam. They take Big Sam in. He's not cheap. I'm sure he's he's not. And we all know what A lot of holidays for Alicante for him. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's it's a shambles, and they're, they're you know I'm not happy. I, like I think you need to somewhat punish players. So if Mustafi keeps making mistakes, bench him. Get somebody. I don't care who it is. Have him there, and maybe he'll be like, you know what? I'm going to play better next time. Uh, it's easy for me to say, of course, but I think it could be. I think everything is fixable. If Leicester won, that's like I always keep going back to that. If you know, Huth won the Premier League in that team. And, you know, all those other guys, you know, Albright, uh, Albrighton and, you know, all those guys won through sheer passion. So could we. Yeah, and if if Liverpool can beat Barcelona yeah. in the Champions League second leg with Wijnaldum, yeah. Shakiri, and Henderson in the lineup, with Origi yeah. stepping up and, and, and scoring. scoring. Twice, yeah. Anything is possible with good coaching. And we were having a chat about, and I don't want to bring up Spurs um, too often, but we were chatting as the game was going on and it was noticeable how lacking they were from a technical perspective compared to Ajax. Like yeah. they, they, were, they were technically inferior, but great coaching, heart, heart desire, and all that. Drilling and, uh, you know, I don't want to say, uh, if I had to step back from a neutral perspective, 
what an incredible win that was. Yeah. Like, and you have the you have experience, you have age, and you have maturity. Yeah. The on the Ajax team, they're young. They don't have experience. And on the other side, you had former Ajax players that know what's up. Yeah. You know, Toby and and Vertonghen, they know what's going on. They know how to pace themselves. And I hate them as much as anybody does. But they weren't going to fold as easily as maybe the young guys because they're young and inexperienced. And they might need that. And maybe they come back next year and surprise us all again. But I doubt it. And I think top level, you cannot escape that we've lacked good coaching this year because whether it's Southampton, whether it's uh, like who are shite, but Hassan Hotwell has got them into a good position, whether it's Ajax with kids who mm-hmm. are very well coached, whether it's Spurs who lacked a technical ability, but like had heart, fight, passion. Um, there, there are so many examples of how great coaching uh, makes better teams. It's, it, I find it amazing the lengths that people will go to defend the indefensible. Um, so we won. Fantastic. We're in a European Cup final. Uh, Azerbaijan, Baku. Um, great. Uh, we're, we're playing <laughs> Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea are. didn't have a great night last night. They had to win by penalty shootout. I think I would have preferred to have Chelsea than Frankfurt because at least you know there's going to be focus. It feels like a big game. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on a Chelsea final? How do you see this playing out? I agree with what you're saying. I think it might be an ideal situation in that we know exactly what we're getting, sort of. Uh, we know Chelsea, we know their fans, we know their players, and hopefully we'll prepare adequately. Frankfurt, I know nothing about. I don't really... It's been years since I've watched the, the Bundesliga with attention and intention. And Too I guess, much football. You can't watch it all. Yeah, I can't. And honestly, with my life as a musician and what I do and the amount of hours I put into practice, I've had to cut back in my football addiction yeah. to be better at what I do. And it hasn't really worked that well, but that's a whole different topic. I, I'm very confident, and I can think of very few teams that I would rather beat in a European final more than I want to beat Chelsea. So I'm confident that we will win and I would love to be against them and win that, you know, European championship or the Europa League trophy against them. And I'm confident in that I love Arsenal and I will always be confident um, on a final, uh, believe it or not, in in a final. So, And if there is one thing you cannot critique Emery for, it, would, it will never be that he didn't take a Europa game seriously. Correct. So hopefully we'll go prepared. Sarri has never won a trophy. Um, but he's quietly improved. Absolutely. You know, he was getting fired in November yeah. or December or whenever things started to go down the toilet. And he's, he's pushed them into third. Like, so this is one, a, a perfect example of where we can talk about a lot of stuff in any f- level of football as a fan or a coach or whatever. And at the end of the day, we know nothing and we all know everything at the same time. I've been so critical of sorry for playing Conte, the best defensive midfielder I've seen in years out of position. Right. I think it's the stupidest thing. It makes no sense to me. It's mm-hmm. like playing Messi as a goalie. Right. And somehow it's worked that he's above Arsenal. They're above our Arsenal. They're in a European Cup final, just like we are, playing the best player out of position. And it's like, maybe I know nothing. 
the same way that I did not see Barca losing to Liverpool for nothing, the same way that I made so many awful predictions in my life, this might be, you know, another example of that. But that also gives me confidence that Conte not playing in the right position. I'm hopeful that uh, we'll crack that old chestnut and uh, go through, well, not go through, but win the whole thing. Um, Sarri, just, Sarri had a, a very tough job, equally as tough as Arsenal. Like, yeah. Chelsea are trying to take a rugged, um, defensive-minded team and turn them into what he did in Italy. He doesn't have the right players. He's a pretty weak squad, I think. And he hasn't had a striker yeah. all season. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do um, if Hazard goes, but I think their transfer ban has been put into effect. So right. there's there's not much that he's going to be able to do this summer as well. So Chelsea should be thankful that they're uh, they're back in the Champions League. So uh, uh, you know, I don't I, I don't know what to really say about Baku as a as a as a final stage. The Home Office has um, on the on the on their website about Azerbaijan and Baku that there is likely to be terrorist attacks there. So Arsenal fans have got to be very careful there. Oh, yeah. That's not the sort of place that you want to trap after someone in a bar. You could find yourself in the back of a car um, pretty quickly if you took things too far out there. Uh, I think the real nasty piece about the the, the final 6,000 tickets out of 68,000 it's insane it's awful awful it's insane and even if i wanted to go for example and i've saved my whole life and blah blah blah, blah somebody that lives you know an arsenal fan li- lifelong fan that lives in africa or chile or whatever the hell and we dream of going to this final it's going to be impossible to get tickets or very very difficult and then it's tainted by the th- fact that you might not be with fellow arsenal supporters and then that the thing feels like a little weak in this corporate event. Same with the Champions League final. And it's just disgraceful, really. I think it's very unfair. And if anything, the numbers should be flipped, and it would make much more sense. You can't tell me that, you know, 70% or whatever, it's corporate, sponsor, whatever, guests, and then the rest is fans. It should be the opposite. Ideally, in a perfect world, it would be, but we don't live in a perfect world. Yeah, I mean, like, creating atmosphere with 6,000 fans in, uh, like with 12,000 out of the 68,000 I don't know I, th- I think it's I think it's unfair and the, the the saddest thing about it is I I've worked at agencies where football tickets get thrown into the mix and it's like who wants to go to this and it's people that are like oh I I have never been to a football game and it's like there's a time and a place for, for that sort of thing and it's not after a grueling um, a, a grueling chase where lots of fans will have traveled all around Europe to some, yeah. some, some pretty interesting places, yeah. play some teams this year that, yeah. you know, I didn't even know existed. Absolutely. But yeah, that's, um, that's a shame. So, um, get through into like the last section of, of the show. Cause I feel like we've covered a, quite a diverse range of, of topics. Um, let's just talk about Emery. He's, he's hot on the lips of everybody. Does, does he need, uh, Europa League win to stay in his job? I've never seen anything that leads me to believe that he would lose his job otherwise. Right. I love what he has done in a way, and there are parts of me that I feel like we deserve better. I don't think he was necessarily the right appointment. And last time we saw each other was right before he signed, or right after he signed, they hadn't played. 
And I always wanted Guardiola. And if it wasn't Guardiola, I wanted Zidane. And if it wasn't Zidane, you know, a couple other guys here and there. But he has proved me wrong, and I like what he's doing. And I would love to give him the old sort of one transfer window to see what he brings to the table before I even think about, you know, I'm nobody to save if he should quit or be fired or whatnot. Um, but I think he's done enough to, to, to merit at least another year. I don't think he's made um, horrible f- mistakes. And, 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 you know, I, I just I really enjoy how he speaks when I can understand him. Or in Spanish, obviously, I can't. Um, much more than how Sarri speaks, how Mourinho speaks, and all this nonsense that goes behind, you know, closed doors that, or, or in the press and all that stuff that I like that it's sort of kind of mellow and, and professional and let's just focus on what we're here to do. And I like that a lot. I think it's a good way. And to a degree, if I may be so bold, it's the Arsenal way. And um, so I'm willing to give him another year the benefit of the doubt. I um, was reading the comments before I came on here and people were talking about giving him the Bruce Rioca, (laughs) which I thought was a humorous play on the words. And Bruce Rioca, if you're not aware, was the Arsenal manager before Arsene Wenger. Um, picked up the reins. He took Arsenal from 13th to 5th. Achieved Sign Burkham. Sign Burkham. Sign Platt. Um, put us back into Europe. Um, but the club knew that he wasn't the man who was going to drive Arsenal forward. And we went out that summer and brought in Arsene Wenger, a game changer, a visionary. And the rest is history. And my view is that if you cannot demonstrate significant improvement on your objectives in a year after spending net 70 million, what was going to happen in year two? Like you, you didn't improve the defense and you didn't give us a defined style of football. And uh, a, a lot of, you know, if you believe in XG, which I think it's difficult not to believe in, um, we, we probably we're, we're on course to becoming a, a mid table team seventh, um, if other teams improve next year. So this, give him time, give him money, give him patience. Like those things are a reward for improving the fundamentals of the side. And I just think that we've signed a Europa League manager. And when you're a, Euro- a Europa League manager in Spain, that's not really a problem because the quality of football outside the top three in Spain is very low. Premier League, like Brendan Rodgers is an invincible um, he took Liverpool to second. Um, Nunez Espiritoed, you know, however you say, it, at Wolves. <laughs> yeah. Like he's building a, a, a machine there. Like if they get better next season, they're going to be a threat. Everton will probably spend yeah. a shit ton of, of money spend, yeah. next year. Chelsea can't get better because they've got a transfer ban. Right. But United will get better. Everybody is going to get better. Everybody is going to improve. And I just feel like we're flogging a dead horse. And I think um, I would love to have a manager in that um, communicated better with the players. I'd love to have a manager in that um, could instill a vision and a philosophy. And I would love to have somebody paired with Edu yeah, who could take Arsenal to the next level. Because Edu could be a fucking disaster, could be a total disaster. But like when you look into the higher, the fact that he's with Brazil, the fact... He know he's an ex invincible. Yeah. So to your point about Ajax earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got fucking Arsenal DNA, like he real does. Arsenal DNA. And 
I can speak. I'll, I'll tell you this story really quickly. Yeah. He loves Arsenal more than anything. And I know this because he told me. In 2010, I was on tour with the Jonas Brothers, and we got invited to a private Corinthians training session. And mind you, I've met my favorite musicians of all time, played with some of them, and it's been a magical ride thus, thus far. And I never get nervous or shy. When I saw the Ronaldo and the Roberto Carlos about 10 feet away from me, I froze and I was petrified. I couldn't speak. I couldn't even say hi. And they walked by and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then I saw Edu walking behind me. And I totally kind of forgot that he was there. And I asked one of the people to, to let him know that I'm, I was an Arsenal fan that I would love to have him as a guest and his family to the tour that we were doing and that I would love to talk to him. And this lady came by about 20 minutes later, half an hour later. I thought it was a, you know, lost cause. He's like, Edu is ready for you. We went to a private room and I was wearing my Dennis Burkamp Holland shirt. And he looked at it and he's like, Dennis, the greatest of all time. And we started talking about his love for Dennis and he, how he was the greatest player he has ever seen in his entire life. He said, no Brazilian, no Argentine, nobody. Dennis Burkham is the greatest of all time. We started talking, and I, I told him, thank you for the goal against Inter. And I screamed it, and I yelled it, and it was beautiful. Thank you for the invincible season. And he said, you know, those were the happiest times of my life. I love Arsenal so much. I love, 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 love Arsenal so much. So that was like the last thing he ever said to me um, when I say goodbye. And it was a beautiful thing. So I've always respected him. I've always liked him and the fact that he might be involved. And I'm a romantic. I would, would I love Patrick Vieira and Freddie Leumberg and Robert Pires and all these guys to come back? Absolutely. I don't care. I would love to try that experiment. Uh, you see it in Ajax. You see it in other places. And it would be cool. And I'm a romantic. And I might be completely wrong and completely, you know, stupid. But I would love to at least try. I like daring. I like trying shit. I, I like being bold, and I like doing shit that nobody else is doing. Um, yes. I like that. It's yeah. what, And that's what I admire people that do that. And, and not to blow a sm smoke up your ass and be too romantic, um, and you're not paying me to say this, but I can't, uh, you know, we're friends, and, but I admire you so much, and I respect what you have done for years because you and Miles Palmer were, and there was a sort of like a rogue uh, blog called Arsenal Muse um, that I used to read since like 99 or something. I've been reading your stuff for years. Same with Miles and the, the Arsenal News Review. And I absolutely love what you do and what you have done. And you're part of the reason why I love the club so much because I was informed. And sometimes I would agree with you. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I would be like, holy shit, he's telling me things and nobody in Venezuela knows about Arsenal. And you feel like you're empowered with this inside knowledge. And same when I lived in Boston or whatever. So I want to thank you um, for what you've done for the club. And, and you, you, you're in a dream position for me. And you've inspired me to want to start an Arsenal podcast in Spanish. Because there isn't one. Nice. Um, so Because you do podcasts. You're a podcaster I podcast. yourself. I am a podcaster. Yeah. And I want to just thank you for everything you've done. And uh, I admire what you do. And I admire you as a person. And, and uh, aside from a blogger and, and a podcaster. And um, I'm just thankful, and I'm thankful, and I, I, I love Arsenal, and I love everything about the club, and I love hating it, and hate loving it, and that everything in between, you know. Um, and you're one of those reasons why, so I thank you very much, man. Really appreciate it. Of course. Um, 
Yeah, and I, and I hope that everybody that's listening to this, um, like that, this is this is what foreign fandom is. And I think when you go to other places and you see the passion and the desire to get like the inside track and be part of it, like what we have, like we take it for granted when we're in the UK because it's there. It's just part of the fabric of culture, right? And then when you then when you meet people outside and the the obscene lengths that people go and the stats that they have on hand, there's a guy in the pub that I go to in New York. He's got a fucking tattoo of Arsenal on his face. Wow! Like neck, like next level, or like a cannon on his face. Yeah, that's so. Fandom is I, valued I, wherever it is. And, I sleep know. in it. To I have a framed, autographed Charlie George picture that I got from the Emirates when he gave a tour when I was there. He gave it to me. He signed it. Um, and I frame it. I sleep next to it. My wife sees Charlie George every morning. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it is. I, 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 for all, all the fans out there listening that are in, in England and get to see the Arsenal, exactly what you said. You guys are so lucky. And ladies, too. So lucky. So privileged. And I would love nothing more that life aligns itself where I could have a house in North London and go watch the Arsenal every other weekend. And it's just magical. So value it, cherish it, be grateful for it, that you've been sort of blessed, if you want to say that word, coming from an agnostic or an atheist, um, with the greatest football club and the greatest uniforms and everything is just (laughs) magnificent. So um, I envy you, a good envy, and I'm happy jealous for all of you guys. Awesome. Well, Damien, thank you so much for coming on. That was a super interesting podcast. Good luck. Good luck on Saturday Night Live. Thank you very much. I will be tuning in. Um, I'll um, like tell tell them your Twitter handle so people can give you a follow. My Twitter handle is at Damien Ariaga. That's D E M I A N A R R I A G A. Awesome, and uh, we'll be back. Um, next week with another fresh hit of Arsenal podcasting. Thank you for listening. Give us a five star on Apple. Uh, none of that four star stuff or none of those one stars. <laughs> don't need those. We don't need those. You're a bad person if you do those. Anyway, thank you and uh, good luck uh, this weekend. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.